to the International House of Horrors. Valued guests, and welcome back to the International House of Horrors podcast, your sanctuary of spooky for all things terrible, horrible, brutal, bloody, gory, and the macabre. I am one of your curators here at the house, Joe Merle. And I'm the other one. I'm Josh. And sorry in advance if it's a bit echoey. I just moved to a new place. And Josh, that's is, what it's- <laughs> Josh moved into a shipping container and he has nothing in it. Um, they finally, yeah. his. They were like, "Get out of here, Josh! You can't stay here anymore." And um, so he's actually living in a in an old uh, shipping container. He's on his way to Shanghai right now. He's floating, exactly. on, floating on the open ocean. The, the only thing that's really weird is that the internet on this shipping container is it's amazing. Than at my home, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Josh, Vetch, yeah, he's in a new place. Uh, just moved in. You're what, like one day, two days in? Two, two days in. Yeah, yeah. I. I I don't even have a chair yet. I'm standing up. Josh, I'm recording standing Josh up because I don't have a chair. Team. That's his commitment to the uh, to the show. It's um, he's so committed. He's like, I'll stand the whole time in an empty room, and we'll make this thing happen. But uh, we are gonna. We got not a huge busy busy one today, but um, I we're both kind of. A, I don't want to say against the clock, but I'm a little bit against the clock. Got a lot of other stuff to do today, but wanted to make sure we got the show in. So we're just gonna jump right into it. And kick the show off with um, our Twilight Zone episode, which has been a lot of fun doing this. And I was thinking, yes. even if somebody didn't listen to the whole show, they could essentially listen to us and get a Twilight Zone rewatch uh, uh, show <laughs> out of this show. So you could even just yeah, stay. True. Yeah, you could just stay for the first, you know, fifteen minutes and and call it good. Um, but so today we are. Um, this is what episode four. We're on episode four. I, yeah. I think episode four. Yeah. Yep. Season one, episode four. The original air date uh, in the States was October 23rd, 1959. And the. In Germany, it was uh, January 26th, 1996. <laughs> again, just a little bit later. Uh, but the, um, the title of the episode is The 16 Millimeter Shrine. And this is one that, again, and I'm just going to say this from here on out. Um, I'm only going to say when they're great episodes because I feel like they're all good to me. They're all good yeah. episodes, um, but every once in a while you get the great ones. This one is right on that line for me because I, the more I watch it, I feel like the the older I get, the more this episode is relevant and the, and the <laughs> more it it really speaks to you. Uh, the 16 millimeter shrine start uh, Ida Lupino as Barbara Jean Trenton, uh, Martin Balsam as Danny Weiss, who most people would know him. I absolutely love him as an actor. He's done some great things, uh, but I remember him the most from Psycho, from 1960s Psycho. He played um, Arbogast. He was the private investigator who had been hired to try and figure out what had happened to Marion. And you get one of my favorite scenes of him falling down the stairs with that big cut on his face. Ah, and the, you know, the camera's pulling. Actually, it's the scene. That's so much fun. It's the scene before that that I really love where you get that bird's eye overhead shot of the hallway. You get that hard right angle and you see him coming up and then Norman just comes shooting straight out of the bedroom. And swipes with a knife. It's a good scene. Uh, um, we got Jerome Cowan as Jerry, and then Ted D. Corsia as Marty Saul. And he was kind of a scumbag in this thing. He was mean, man. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you kind of get it. Uh, so we'll get into the episode, but why don't we uh, kick it off with the the opening narration. So hopefully, I need to start reading these beforehand so I know what's coming, so I don't stumble <laughs> over any words. Um, yeah, that would be helpful. Yeah, but here we go. <clears throat> Clear the throat a little bit. 
Okay. Picture of a woman looking at a picture. Movie grade of another time. Once brilliant star and a ferment no longer a part of the sky. Eclipsed by the movement of earth and time. Barbara Jean Trenton, whose world is a projection room, whose dreams are made out of celluloid. Barbara Jean Trenton, struck down by hit-and-run years, lying on the unhappy pavement, trying desperately to get the license number of fleeting fame. All right, there we go. We got the opening there. That one wasn't too bad. That wasn't <laughs> yeah, too that bad. Yeah, was perfect. <laughs> um, so this is a really cool episode, and I said it, uh, you know, it speaks to you. We have this, this aging film star who was a a star in the the 1930s and you had just filled me in on this that i i wasn't aware of and we kind of looked at it real quick before we started recording but actually ida lupino was a huge film star in the 30s and 40s uh we looked yeah. at the number i mean there was i think in 33 she had done like six movies and then every <laughs> year following up to 40 she had at least three or four movies each year so she was just a a monster and and you had you know mentioned before we started you said she's almost playing herself in a way. And so you have this, this woman who just hides in her house. She's got this big, beautiful home and she's got a screening room of sorts. And she's just hiding in the screening room, watching her pictures and she's watching her movies and kind of trying to go back to that place. Like she wants nothing more than to, to be in that memory or to be a part of this, this idea, this memory, these old, this older version of herself. Yeah, she she just uh, she, she still feels like those movies, and she still feels like that star. And a, a whole big point of that movie is that she is aging. And I think, especially at at that time, I, even today, actresses after a certain age have a harder way finding leading roles. We get yeah. that we don't get that anymore. It, it's very and, unfortunate, but I think it's easier for a man to age in Hollywood. It seems yeah. it seems like, and you know, it's not right. It shouldn't be that way, but it. For the most part, a lot of times it is the way it is outside of some of the greats, you know, like Meryl Streep, um, who are some other really good older actresses, Diane Lane. Um, I know there's a whole bunch I'm missing right now, but there's some women who who have that starlet role when they're young and then progress very naturally. But we see so many other actresses who, you know, very beautiful women when they're young, but just can't make that transition over into um, those older older roles. Yeah, but also you, you've got to also see not just from uh, making the transition to those other roles, but also like imagine being the, the beautiful starlet for all the time and then suddenly someone tells you, well, you're old now, you're ugly, we yeah. can't take you. That must be hard on your self-esteem. It's got to be and horrible. There's, there's this other movie. I, I just tried to look it up, but I can't think of the name right now. It's um, from around the same time, also about an aging actress, um, who uh, and uh, um, it's it's by Billy Wilder that, that I know, but yeah, I, I gotta look uh, it up. Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard. Exactly. Yeah, it's a great, great movie. That's a great movie. It was it was great movie. it was before. Oh yeah, I, yeah, I, I want to say well, Sunset Boulevard was like early fifties. It was nineteen fifty. I just oh, found okay. it. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's a, a similar storyline, a similar plot. Of course, the Twilight Zone. For anyone who doesn't know by now spoilers ahead right <laughs> the, yeah. the twilight zone um uh does something different with it with her actually ending up on screen at the end yeah which i thought was was really cool the the whole solution to that movie is like yeah you kind of get a happy ending in a way like for <laughs> yeah. you don't really so well i guess let's go back to the beginning kind of tell the story um you know so she's kind of a recluse in this room and Danny, um, the Martin Ballsman character, 
he, uh, you know, he's trying to get her out of it. Like he goes in and he draws the curtains back and he's like, the sun is beautiful. He's trying to get her to live in the moment <laughs> and be aware of the world around her. And he, he tells her, I got this, um, I got a meeting for you at the studio. Like, Hey, let's go to the studio. I I've got a meeting for you. There's a part. And she gets very excited. She's like, Oh, who's going to be my leading man? You know, who's gonna, <laughs> yeah. she expects to be this character. And when they get there, the Marty character, um, he just kind of puts it to her straight and he's like, <laughs> we want you to play this mother. And she gets very irate about it. And I don't play mothers. I don't do that. I'm the leading lady. You know, she still wants to be that 1930 star. And then he kind of lays it on her really hard. And, and he's kind of mean to her about it. And he's like, you know, that's that's gone. You're never going to be that again. I don't know who you think you are that you can come in here and and demand to play these leading parts. But it it, it and. Yeah. He, he he is really mean, but he's also speaking the truth to her, especially because she's like still, like you said, she's still up in this world. She's locking herself in her room and just watching her old movies. She just feels like she's still that young actress. And in, in that time in Hollywood, you didn't get those roles. And he was just honest to her, maybe to kind of try to wake her up. Right, didn't work that well, but uh, no, and just and Danny more. continues to try and protect her. You know, he yells at Marty. He's like, "I hope when you're in this position, somebody beats you down the same way you just did to her." So yeah. Danny's always trying to protect her, and she goes, um, she goes back to the house, and then Danny tries to arrange a meeting with Jerry, who was one of her co-stars from the '30s. Like Jerry's in L.A. from Chicago. And he's like, hey, he knocks on the door. You're, I got a good news for you. Like, Jerry's here. And she gets very excited because she's been watching these movies with her and Jerry where he's the leading man. She's the leading woman. She gets all excited about it. And then Martin um, brings, or Danny brings Jerry to the house. And she's, again, hit by, she gets hit by a big dose of reality that Jerry has aged as well. And now, what is he? He runs a bunch of supermarkets. I think is what it yeah, was. Yeah, I think supermarkets. Yeah, it's it's kind of. Um, I'm not sure if, if the aging is like because uh, the the actress uh, like she plays herself in these older movies, while for Jerry they had an, a much younger actor, and then we we, we see this, this this difference because she yeah. looks basically the same in the movies on screen than she does now, and then we got Jerry who looks like he's aged forty years in the times <laughs> right. that she aged. 10. <laughs> yeah. And he fills her in. He's like, you know, I, I left that life behind. Like that was, I can't get my youth back. That's just something yeah. that is no longer a part of me. And so she gets all disheveled again and is like, get him <laughs> out of here. I don't want to have anything to do with this. Um, and you're right though. The, the makeup, he was much, much older than, <laughs> than she was. But also, um, what, what I think is, is really cool is that, um, uh, they they actually found a really good actor to play younger him because he looks like he's just that guy aged up a lot. Yeah. And they, they, they have some uh, uncredited actor as him. And I, I thought looking at the face, he looks really similar in this, in this particular way of like that. They found a really good younger actor for him. Yeah. They definitely had some similarities that you can, that you can see. And we we get to the end of this thing. You already kind of mentioned it. And throughout it, um, you know, she says a couple times, like, if you wish on something long enough, it can come true. Or you wish hard yeah. enough. Or if you believe enough, something can come true. And the her, I think it was her housekeeper or her maid of some sort 
who yeah. kind of lives there and takes care of her, walks into the screening room. She's got some like coffee and cookies and just drops it and starts screaming. Ah, ah, you and know? I, I'm still not sure what she saw because like that reaction doesn't, if maybe if she, if she now laid on the floor, bloody and dying, right. then that reaction would make sense. But what exactly did she see? I think well, she, she saw, was, she was I, think, I think what we were supposed to see, and you can see it a little bit compared to the, the earlier ones, is you actually see the current version of Barbara on the screen. So it's mm. like the same aged Barbara <laughs> who now exists in these movies. Like she's found a way to transport herself into the movies. And but you're right. The the scream is a the, little bit exaggerated. <laughs> yeah, little... even if that could be just like a movie she shot somewhere quickly and put on, like she, that reaction doesn't make yeah. much sense but, at, and, at first and, glance. And I think you know you have to remember that this was 1959, and to watch it yeah. through the eyes of 1959, it was before any expectations we had of TV or movies. Yeah, and, and, for sure. You know, it was a very different world. So you almost needed that as a form of exposition, like to really let us know something terrible has happened. Because if she just walked in and did nothing, what would that be for the viewer, especially in 59, where people kind of <laughs> yeah. expected that over the top uh, kind of response? And, and this is exactly. a good episode. This isn't, like I said, this isn't, I think, a great episode. It's a good one, but it's not a great one. Um, but yeah, so we get that. And then Danny comes in and she. Uh, the the maid um tells tells Danny what is going on. Danny goes in there, looks at the screen, and he starts actually talking to the screen. And Barbara responds like she, <laughs> so she has some kind of connection to reality at the same time. Like is she seeing the real world on a screen? How is all that <laughs> happening? We don't really know. But she sees Danny, and now she's living out essentially her her version of heaven. Like she's made it to her perfect place where she never has to age, and she can stay in this world of. Of fantasy and um, you know, time, all her young friends are there. Yeah, time long forgotten. Uh, yeah. But it's a, it's a cool one, and it was very well acted. And like you said, a lot of similarities to Sunset Boulevard. If, if anyone listening has never seen Sunset Boulevard, that's an amazing movie. Amazing movie. movie. Yeah. Um, who was it? Uh, I think Gloria Swanson was Sunset Boulevard. But it's really really good. I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what's funny is um, since I'm living in a new place right now, I got a roommate. And yesterday we went to the cinema, saw Free Solo, then came back and um, and I said, "Okay, what, what let's are we watch a Serbian film. Come on, sit down and watch a Serbian film. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you want to watch the the Slaughtered Vomit Dolls trilogy <laughs> with me? <laughs> no, I actually uh, he and another friend was there as well, and I said, "Let's let's watch an episode of The Twilight Zone." And they were both at first completely turned off because The Twilight Zone isn't as well known here, so they thought, "Okay, some weird." Some weird uh, horror show, probably from the fifties. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, I, I think my roommate said um, a weird horror uh, horror show from the seventies, and I said no, it's the fifties. <laughs> yeah. And then I said no, it's it's more sci-fi, and I, I talked them into letting me show them one episode. Nice. And what, did, what did they think? What did they think? They, they liked it. Oh, good. That's they, good to hear. They liked it as well. Like they, they saw, of course, that it was from the fifties, that it was a bit a bit older now, but they still enjoyed it, and I could actually make them agree to watch the second episode. So nice. So did you they, watch, they did you watch walking distance? Yes. Nice. I watched it yesterday too. I watched it at the same time. Cause that, that's one I really, really like. Um, but you know, I, I can't wait till we get into some of the really good, um, like Nazi Germany episodes. The, um, cause some of my favorite, there's actually a, a great episode where Dennis, um, Dennis Hopper plays, uh, like a young Hitler type character. It's, it's really good though. It's a really good one. And then there's, uh, an episode on the, 
wow, what was the name of that episode? The something grave. But there's um, where they're dealing with like U-boats and um, submarines and stuff. And then there's actually one where we'll go to a concentration camp. Where oh, this, wow. Yeah, there's a former concentration camp. Um, he was like a, I don't know what they were called. Maybe you can remind, and I'm not even just saying this, like making a Nazi joke, but maybe you know better. Like the people who ran the concentration camps. Or like who were like the upper leaders of the? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they have a name, but I can't yeah, think of it right now either. But there's one where he goes, he goes back and starts seeing all the ghosts of all the people who were killed. It's really powerful. It's a good, it's a good episode. Oh, that, um, that sounds awesome! I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. But in, right and, now, and, and again, this was yeah, and again, this was like only you got to think not even a full like two decades away from World War II. Like that was still so fresh in, in everybody's mind. So they dealt with a yeah, lot of right, that right stuff. Right now we're at like 10 years, right? Like it's 56, you said, right? 59. So 59. yeah, like okay. 14 yeah, years, so 15 14 years. years. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So yeah, overall, good episode. Um, you know, and I think it, like I said, the older you get, the more this episode is <laughs> is relevant. And uh, we already mentioned next week is walking distance, which deals with a lot of the same things. Um, a lot of the same kind of remembering your your youth and, you know, kind and, of time traveling in a way. Yeah. Um, super cool one. All right. So I'm going to throw this uh, closing narration out there, and then we'll move on to the main topic of the show. To the wishes that come true, to the strange, mystic strength of the human animal who can take a wishful dream and give it a dimension of its own. To Barbara Jean Trenton, movie queen of another era, who has changed the blank tomb of an empty projection screen into a private world. It can happen in the Twilight Zone. All right, so yes, next week we'll be doing uh, Walking Distance, so be sure to check out Season 1, Episode 5 of the Twilight Zone just so you're you're caught up and, uh, and ready to go with us. And, and one more thing I, yeah. I just wanted to add. The name Norma Jean is such a typical name for, that, for actresses of that time, right? Well, Norm- or is it just... Yeah, it, it just sounds very like like a name these actresses would have at the time. Norma Jean Trenton wasn't wasn't well. This is Barbara Jean. Oh, Barbara, Barbara Jean. Jean Trenton. But wasn't um isn't Marilyn Monroe's name Norma Jean? Wasn't, maybe, maybe that's what I was thinking. Yeah, of, thinking, uh, yeah, you can look it up. But I'm pretty sure Marilyn Monroe's actual name was uh was Norma Jean. But I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. so which is she, cool. She was. She was famous at the time, right? But so there maybe- was a lot of a lot of genes and like three three word names or three yeah. name names. You know, you had you had a lot of those going on. Um, okay, so now we're gonna move on to the main topic of the show, and we were gonna do last week for anyone who listened to last week's episode. We talked a little bit about you had watched uh, Little Shop of Horrors, and we talked about horror musicals, and we were gonna do a horror musicals episode because there's some cool ones out there. But we, after talking about it a little bit, we said, well, give it a little more time because you had wanted to see Anne on the Apocalypse. Um, I want to revisit Repo Man because I really like Repo Man. And then there was a few on the list I'd never seen. And I wanted to, if we're going to do that topic, do it justice and actually bring some really good stuff to the table. So after talking a little bit, we decided uh, today we were going to talk about horror movie scores and the music of horror movies, the sounds of horror movies, uh, because they're such a important part of a good horror movie. Like all the best horror movies, I shouldn't say all the best, but the majority of the best have really good scores. Like some horror movies have no score at all and are still effective. My my oldest yesterday, um, I showed her Paranormal Activity for the first time. Oh. And then she just got hooked and she watched the second one, watched the third one, and there's no music at all in that. That doesn't mean that it's not effective, but a lot of your 
great horror movies all have all have great st- scores. So today we wanted to celebrate some of those, and we're each just going to bring some to the table. I made a list of ten. I didn't put them in any particular order. I didn't rank them because I thought it would just be fun to talk about them. Um, and then you can kind of um, go along with me, and you know you'll add in yours. Yeah. Uh, and we'll just go from there and kind of talk about these. And a lot of, I actually have three from the same guy <laughs> on, <laughs> on my list, um, which is what it a, is. some of some of the some of the uh, like we have lots of musicians that made lots of uh, scores for lots of great scores. Like yeah. I don't want to throw any names out yet because uh, we're probably going to get to them all. Yeah, but like there's some. If if you get a good uh, good movie, he's the guy for the score. Right, it's like- and there, there's quite a few of them. And the first one up on my list is actually, I think, one of my only real um, newer newer movies. Um, and there's some other ones I thought that I remember really enjoying. Like, I feel like The Void had a good score, but it's stuff I didn't have time to go back and listen to. Uh, but one that stuck out to me the first time I, I saw it uh, at the theater, I was like, I really like this. And some of it was that it was a throwback to kind of the 80s. Um, there was a lot of the synth sounds in it. And it was the score to It Follows by uh, <laughs> yeah. Disaster Piece, which, um, you know, It Follows. It, it, it Follows to me is so weird that it's such a polarizing movie because I feel like it's great. I don't, <laughs> but there's a lot of people who really dislike It Follows, and I don't, yes. under, I don't understand why. Because I feel like it's got everything that a good horror movie, you know, really needs. You got this awesome villain that's unstoppable and kind of chases you around everywhere. Some really cool set pieces. It was well designed. And the score is just so haunting. Like you have these crazy, it almost reminds you of like a nightmare on Elm Street um, and, and the early 80s to kind of mid 80s horror scores. And I don't know if you have anything, you know, to add to that, but it was kind of the last one. I will say this was the last one on my list when I started putting the list together. But it's one that I really, really enjoy. And I think on its own could just be listened to and enjoyed without even the presence of the images on the screen. Yes, it's. I, I totally agree. It's a. It's a great score, and uh, yeah, I, I think you said it perfectly. Like it, it reminds you of the eighties. Like John Carpenter, it, it yeah, feels very yeah. influenced of him. Uh, yeah, so that's that's pretty that's much it. Yeah, you said that's it all. One. Yeah, and then um, I don't know if you uh, this one. I I don't know if it would be on your list, but I I'm pretty sure it would. But who knows? Um, I'm going with the the original score for Suspiria, for Argento's Suspiria. So what's the original score? So there- for what? Suspiria? Yeah. Or do you mean the score of the original Suspiria? Yeah, the score of the original movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, because you said the or- I, I thought they maybe switched the score up. <laughs> no, like, no, 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 no. Sorry. That sometimes happens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it's, um, and you know, Argento worked many times with, with Goblin and yep. Goblin's just unbelievable. Like they really are just, um, and it's such a, a, like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like it fits that world so perfectly. Yes, exactly. I, I'm a big fan of Goblin. They, yeah. they make, uh, um, they, I, I, the, the first uh, Argento movie or the first Goblin score movie I saw was actually, um, what's it called again? Um, uh, damn, um, with uh, oh, I can't think of any names right now, but it's another great uh, Argento movie that was actually a bit later, I think, like late 80s, early 90s, um, with, with a Goblin score as well. And uh, I, 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 before that, I heard of, I heard of a Goblin before. 
yeah. quite a few times. Yeah, because I think and, Goblin didn't Goblin do um, demons? Did Goblin do demons? Even though uh, he just produced that. Um, I, the, the movie I meant was uh, Phenomena. That's oh, the okay. One, uh, yeah, and and I before that I I knew Goblin was this like score band, and I couldn't really picture it because I had never heard a score of them, and I, and I was like, what. What does that mean? How can it like, because to me, score is usually like the thing we hear in most movies. Right. Right. And, and then I, I saw a phenomena and I, I realized, okay, now I know what, what that means. And I, I think that's that was one of the scores that I listened to a few times as well. Like just putting on the score because I really liked it. Okay. Yeah. They, um, cause I, sorry, I'm trying to look right now, but yeah, they, they have such a unique sound in, in horror and it's, Without that score to Suspiria, it would not be the same movie. It would still be a great movie, but Goblin approaches it so much differently. It's not like a. It, it's not even like a composer doing it. They approach it as a band. Yeah, and, exactly. yeah. It's just a band doing it, which is so cool, and I think makes them them super unique. And I would guess to say that Suspiria is probably their most famous score of all the stuff yeah. that they ever did. So if you get a chance, you know, if you've got Amazon Music or or Apple Music. Um, jump on and listen to the score for Suspiria because it's... I was even going to see if I could um, play a little clip of it right here to see if this will pop up, but I'm afraid YouTube's going to throw an ad in my face. Um, yeah, and it threw an ad in my face because that's what YouTube does. Um, so let me see. Okay. Uh, Writing's see. not that Oh, easy. come on. No, but get out of here. Can help. <laughs> I'm going to have to... <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, I may be able to bring them up on my phone, but I'm not even going to do that either. We'll just not play the the scores. Sorry for the ads there. I was going to see if I could play some, but it seems like uh, it's it's okay. Also, I just I just saw Goblin are on the soundtrack of Shaun of the Dead. Are I, they really? Yeah, th that's what IMDb says. I didn't uh, hear them there, oh, and of okay. course, uh, yeah, they also made the score for. So I'm, I'm not sure right now. They made a score for Dawn of the Dead. But did they do this score or do they just do the Argento version? Do you know about that? Um, I thought they did the the full score for the zombie you're talking about, right? Not Dawn of the Dead, but zombie. I'm I'm talking Dawn of the Dead. Ah, uh, okay. Um, they they made a score for Dawn of the Dead. That's interesting. But, um, um, okay, but they, I if if you go to IMDb, they're they're the only ones credited for original oh, music. Awesome. Um, I did find a, uh, let me see if I can just turn this down. I might be able to play some of these in the background. Cause if I just pull it up on, uh, Apple music, it should play a little bit in the background, but yeah, I'll have to look that up on the, on the Wikipedia, but yeah, here you get just a little taste of that. The way this movie opens up. Oh my goodness. Just listening to it. Now I'm getting all excited, like goosebumps. Oh. Cause it's such a, I really need to get my hands on a version of that movie. <laughs> yeah. And they, um, you really, I had to order mine from Japan. It was, um, I want to say it was like the 40th anniversary edition. But yeah, you hear that like haunting. And then you get into the drums like, do, 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 um, Such weird sounds. But they really did a, yeah. a super cool job with it. So Goblin, Suspiria is an absolute, uh, an absolute must. It really is just super yeah, cool. I'd really say just Goblin in general, they're like probably the, the greatest score band, probably the only one but also the greatest there is and i really love their their scores they're always like something to listen to yeah um so very good one uh next one i've got up is 
actually the second one of a <laughs> I have two of these movies from the same franchise in the list. Uh, but Halloween three, season of the witch, which is often the the forgotten Halloween. Um but it's so it's so cool because you have uh you know John Carpenter doing a lot of the music, which again I, I had mentioned earlier that I have one person who does a ton of the music um, or has done like three or four scores on my list. And it is John Carpenter because the guy <laughs> just has an uncanny ability to, and not even his horror stuff. I was thinking about it before we were starting, not even just his horror stuff, but his non horror stuff, like escape from LA and escape from New York is one of my favorite scores. And it's um, you know, it's not a horror movie at all, but <laughs> the dude just has a, a great ability to, to score music. And the score for Halloween three is amazing. Like you have these weird, like ding, like dropping like weird again synthetic sounds like pulling in in these strange directions but it's also the song that plays throughout the movie you know everybody knows that uh yeah gather <laughs> Three more days yeah. Halloween, yeah. Halloween, Halloween. <laughs> and even even the music behind it and i think i saw a documentary or something about the movie or either that but they talked about the, the jingle and how they didn't approach it from a musician standpoint or from a movie standpoint but just tried to make a catchy tv jingle and that's what they did yeah and they absolutely and did because it's, it's it, the worst jingle ever I, <laughs> now I, i'm gonna sing that song for the it, whole it day gets now. stuck in your head and and you always had that great lead up to it like gather around kids yeah <laughs> eight more days till halloween halloween, halloween silver halloween. shamrock uh, but the whole Halloween, like you get that, um, Carpenter always has these like quick, I, I don't know what it's called, but like quick ticks in some of his scores that I love where it's like, tick, 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 and then you get like, boom, and these heavy bass sounds that just knock right into it. But season of the witch is absolutely fantastic. As far as the score, a lot of people still, they're like, oh, it's not Michael Myers. Not my, it's not supposed to be. And you know, at the time we forget that they didn't even know if they were making any more Michael Myers movies. <laughs> the goal was to use the Halloween name and create different, almost like an anthology franchise where you just use the name and then create a different movie as you go along. But it would have been a great idea. It would have been an amazing idea. But after the third one, the, the fan backlash was pretty intense. And they were like, no, give us, give us more Michael Myers. Um, so yeah, Halloween three, absolutely, uh, absolutely fantastic score. And did you have anything before I, before I keep going on? Uh, yeah, I, I could throw one out there. I'm just looking up the, the composer uh, because one that I got that's sometimes also overlooked, but it's it's just such an such an awesome. It's, it's more of a theme almost. It's uh, by Harry Manfredini, and it's the Friday the Thirteenth theme. Oh, okay. The <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and that's that, that's such a that and the, the score to that was also really good in general but that that scene alone and how they uh, that that phrase and how they used it all throughout and it's uh i think the composer did did that and uh, it was all to resemble kill ma because, oh okay uh, spoilers yeah <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah yeah that makes sense i mean <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, you're right i mean that is one of the most iconic sounds in horror like yeah, even, exactly. for the most part, even if people have never seen a Friday the 13th movie, they probably had someone in their life who's done something like that and yeah. made that sound to them. You know, you're walking out in the woods and somebody just, yeah, 
It's uh, super good. You always knew that. Um, and you did have a really, I don't know about, I don't remember the first one so much, but I really liked a lot of the scoring in the Tommy Jarvis trilogy. I thought it was a lot of fun. So four, five, and six. There was some really mm-hmm. cool stuff done with with the score in those movies. But you're right. That um, that sound right there is. And, yeah. and do you call it part of the score? I say absolutely yes, because it's, it's just, you know, it's so important and so essential to those movies like that's how you knew yeah, jason exactly. was coming i mean you <laughs> yeah. always when you heard those sounds you knew jason was around the corner and you um and in the first one it was used so good because you'd get those uh you know the entire first movie we often forget for the most part is all point of view yeah. every every kill is point of view because you don't get the big reveal until the end so you never see the killer all you do is hear some sounds and then you see the counselors backing into a corner like no don't kill me or kevin bacon <laughs> getting an arrow through his uh adam's apple yeah. Yeah, some great effects in that. Um, that's a good one. Uh, the next one I had on my list um, is one that, I mean, n- possibly I would say the most iconic score in all of horror um, and specifically one piece of the score, but I, I would say the whole score. <laughs> it's the old score, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bernard Herman's score to Psycho is just, I, I mean, every everybody knows the shower scene part of it. But yeah. even from the very opening credits, you get that chaotic like letters going back. Yeah. Well, no, not even before that. When the letters start going, it's just a dun 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 Yeah, but then you get that na 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 and it was it was so interesting that that entire score is all strings. He didn't use any yeah. other instrument outside of a stringed instrument. And to be able to do that, to restrict yourself to only string sounds, you know, you're not getting any other sounds to complement. You have to figure out how to do it all with strings. But of course, the re, 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 rah, rah is. Um, <laughs> and let's remember Hitchcock didn't want any score in that scene. Yeah. He, he left it out, but then. Uh, uh, Herman just made the score for that scene anyway, and it was perfect. And now that's all people think about. And can that's, you, that's right. gore. And can you and, even uh, imagine that scene without a score? That would be really, really bizarre. Yeah, I bet you it's out there somewhere. Like you can watch it with the music removed. I might have to check yeah. it out and see what. Uh, I think I even saw that once. It looks really weird, especially now. Of course, now it's totally different because we're so imprinted with the music. Like if I see that scene without sound, I'm probably going to hear the music anyway. Right. But, uh, but yeah. And uh, just a a few uh, short throwback again, because of course, Bernard Herrmann also made the score for the Twilight Zone, especially for the episode we talked about today. That was Bernard Herrmann. It it said it at the end again, the credits. Right. Yeah. Which is super cool. He, um, I just figured this out. This is awesome. Um, I had my notes on my phone, but there's a little thing kept popping up in the corner and I just clicked the button and it actually pulled them up onto my computer. So I don't got to look at my phone anymore. Um, that's awesome. That's the beauty of having Apple. Everything (laughs) is they all like to play (laughs) together. Um, so yeah, Bernard Herman, uh, that score just unbelievably cool. The next one up on my list is an interesting one because it's, uh, a Carpenter movie, but not a Carpenter score, which it's, it's always weird when you hear you know because carpenter almost always scores his own stuff you know and i hope one day i've talked to some people who have gotten to see his live show and they said it's super cool 
because uh, you know there's you know images in the background from the movies, and he goes through and talks about some of the stuff, what he was uh, what he was going through. But the um, the next one I have is a Carpenter movie, and that is The Thing. Um, mm, yeah, you know The Thing uh, is is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's it's in my top five movies. I think the thing is damn near perfect from start to finish. It still gets a lot of backlash about there were no female characters. Um, you know, it is what it is. That didn't bother me um, as much. The fact that there were uh, no female characters in this because I feel like it worked for the time. And now you you know we got the the prequel movie that I actually enjoyed. Some people didn't enjoy it as much. Granted, it's not the thing. But um, I want to hopefully I say this guy's name right. Enio Morricone. Morricone. Mir- yeah. Morricone. Is that how you'd say it? Um, Mor- Morricone. I okay, think. Morricone. Um, it's it's the 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 score for this just perfectly. I don't know. Represents what the movie is. It's so like. It has that sci-fi element to it, but it's like a sci-fi score mixed with a horror score at the same time. And um, he's a European guy, which, you know, they score very differently. Like we talked about Argento is so much different than Friday the 13th. It's like worlds apart when you listen to him. And I think for this movie, because in a lot of ways, the thing is a haunted house movie. Uh, you know, it's a it's a monster movie. It's a haunted house movie. It's a, a claustrophobic, um, you know, kind of trapped movie. But the score to the thing, I just absolutely, um, I absolutely love. And I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see if I can and, bring some of these up on on my phone, so that way we don't get the ads. But you go ahead and talk while I'm looking. <laughs> yeah, with, with uh, Ario Morricone, it's uh, crazy because he's best known for his uh, spaghetti western. Yeah, like he did all the scores to like. Once upon a time in the West, I think is him and all that stuff. So, uh, so that's he he doing a sci-fi horror movie is kind of something different. And if I remember it correctly, I think the the score for the Hateful Eight was mostly um, unused score from the thing. Was it really? Oh, I didn't know that. I, I think so. Like um, they they uh, they worked together there, and probably there was something freshly written, written for the movie. But for the most part, I think he took things from the thing that were like unused that Morricone had still lying around somewhere and he used those. So uh, oh, that's super <laughs> that's, cool. That's also funny. Um, I've, I've got another I've got another one since we already talked Halloween. Well, Halloween three. We already talked Friday the 13th. So I'm going to throw out Charles, Ber- Charles Bernstein, who uh, did the score to uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Which is this uh, this iconic music as well, the, the Freddy theme. For that alone, I like these these themes of these horror characters we get. It's uh, uh, the the Freddy theme. You know, I it's so good, and I, it was awful. on the. I think they talked to. I want to say they talked to him on that documentary. There was a clip of him that never sleep again. That like four hour documentary about the franchise, which is really good if you've never seen it. I I got the Blu-ray. I saw like an hour, and then I. Yeah. <laughs> I had to stop and didn't have the time. I got to watch it at some point. Yeah, they spend a lot of time on that first movie. And, you know, probably the first hour, hour and 15 minutes is all that first movie, maybe even hour and a half. But I remember hearing him talk, or maybe I read an article about it. And when he approached doing the score, 
He's like, I tried to find the notes that made you so uncomfortable, like notes that aren't supposed to really be together and that create unease in the listener. And he succeeded in a way that most people don't succeed in making you feel because you hear that ding, 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 ding. Like really, really (laughs) scary stuff. And, and the whole opening of that movie, when you see the 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 broiler and you know like the tools and everything laying around everywhere, when because the the movie opens with Tina in her dream, and you just see like these nightmare images, and at the same time you get this just awful, awful music. But that score is so good. I mean, it's it's probably if I did have to rank these, it would be top three for sure. It's yeah, it's great, and um, that that's that's uh, funny that you said that that he like try to find the sounds that don't fit together but kind of do because that's kind of what uh what Wes Craven did for for Freddy right with the sweater with red yeah, and green yeah. because they so like uh maybe they talked about this together and then decided to come up with this and I really like that yeah that, yeah because he did they, say that he said I need the two colors that are most unsettling when looked at side by side yeah and those that's where he got the that um the red and the green from the score is just unbelievable uh, that Nightmare on Elm Street, man. That first yeah. Nightmare is still such a good movie. Like, it's unbe- yes. unbelievably good. And uh, moving on, I've got a um, another uh, John Carpenter movie, and I'm pretty sure I'm trying to um, look to see, and I'm, I'm certain he did the score for this, but I always get that little bit of self-doubt. I'm like, oh, come <laughs> on. Like, am I right? Um, but it is Christine. So the Stephen King adaptation about the the killer car. If you've never uh, if you've never seen Christine, it's um, it, it, I think it's one of Carpenter's more underrated movies. Like people tend to forget about how good Christine is, and uh, so Carpenter, yeah, did the score. I was so certain, so certain that he did the score. <laughs> um, and again, it's got that Carpenter feel to it. You know, very electronic. He always did these electronic sounds. There weren't mm-hmm, as many. Yeah. You know, he might play it on the piano, but at the same time, he will be using like synthesized sounds and and different sounds for the score. Um, but Christine, a movie about I can't remember what year the car was, what year she was. She's one of my favorite killer cars, too. There was a lot of years where I watched Christine um, almost where well, there was one summer. I watched it almost daily when I first found it. I was like, oh, I just I just <laughs> love this movie. The the scene where Arnie um is standing in front of her after the car got got all destroyed and everything and he's like okay show me like show me what you can do and the you know the car starts to pull itself back out and the tires reinflate yeah. and all the dents start to come back out and she's ready to go uh but Christine i remember is- seeing that scene for the first time and uh because uh yeah of course uh it's it's kind of genius that he just like crushed the car from the inside and then played it backwards yeah it looked so realistic. It looks so good. Perfect. Yeah, it looks so good. And like the lights come back, like everything, like the glass, you know, the shattered glass turns back, turns yeah. back good again. It's um, it's a super great movie, but also a, an amazing score at the same time. So Carpenter, again, you know, I'm going to keep saying this over and over, is Carpenter just, the dude has a, a even if he would have never been a director or a filmmaker, he could have made an amazing living scoring movies. Like yeah, he, as a he, musician, yeah. yeah. He could have done it as a musician. Yeah, uh, so. um, I've got another one. Um, I think he's also known for for many movies, but this is like the, I think to me at least that's probably his best score. Um, is uh, Jerry Goldsmith? 
and he he made a lot of scores, but um, he did a ton. What's yeah, and what's the well? Of course, he was a composer, yeah. But what stands out to me is uh, when I first got the Blu-ray of The Omen. Oh yeah, I was I was really confused because that Blu-ray said, okay, you can either have the German dub, you can have the English dub, or you can have the movie without any dialogue with just the score. Really? And I was That's like, cool. why? Because the score why is so good. <laughs> yeah. And then I list, I watched the movie, and that score is amazing. With the the the, the singers, the um. Like, like the it's, choir it's almost? This, the, the choir, yeah, exactly. It's all these, I think, even Gregorian choirs, like all male and really deep. and But also, I think, also full choir. But yeah, it's just uh, so unsettling and really so well done. And uh, that score is amazing. It, it's the singing for me that does it. Like yeah. he and Jerry Goldsmith, you know, I just pulled up his IMDb. Uh, just, I mean, his amount of credits is so insane. When I hear that name, I think of, um, you know, the score for Alien. Like another is just, Alien is spot on for that scary space horror. Um, but yes, the it's the singing in um, The Omen that is just, I don't know, man. It's It, I, it has that weird, like you would almost, I don't want to say demonic, but like a church presence almost. Like a religious presence, like he pulled, yeah, like took elements from different, you know, religious uh, history and how people have sung um, over the years, but he really put it in a way that's just, it's haunting. It's like insanely haunting and very, very scary, very scary. Yeah. Uh, so that's a good one. That's a really good pull. My next one, um, kind of from the same era that. Uh, you know, really needs no introduction. I don't know how many people would know today if you just played it, but it is the, and I'm trying to pull up real quick. Sorry. Who, uh, who composed it? Um, but the exorcist, uh, you know, the, the tubular bells, um, that ding, 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 I'm trying to look who, um, I'm, I was just about to pull that up because it also fits perfectly with the with the story of like the omen and the exorcist. Yeah. It's all about like the devil and but there's there's no original music on IMDb Listed. at least. Yeah, I don't know where it um who did it. I was trying to find the same thing. But that Maybe. score is just oh that's a good exorcist poster though. It looks like a Japanese one. Um, and now I'm just getting distracted by the internet. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, the exorcist is just great in general, but yeah, the, the music is, is really good and really unsettling as well. Yeah. I'm trying to pull up the, oh, it's just got the, the soundtrack on there, but yeah, it's one that, you know, it fits, but it's also, it feels, I don't know who did it, but it does feel very European <laughs> in its execution. Because it's yeah. not a, a huge, like, ominous, overbearing presence. Like, it's kind of light at the same time that it's dark, which is a, a weird contrast for that movie because you got all these horrific images and horrific things happening. Um, but, yeah, I think it was called Tubular Bells is the Exorcist theme. So if you want to find that online, just search for Tubular Bells and that'll come up because it's um, it's amazing. It is it is amazing, and it's one of my favorites. Um, so I've only got two more left on my list. I don't know if you got anything you want to throw out there before um, before I get to my I, last two. I I got one more because when we were in preparation and we talked about maybe doing the musical episode, I brought up a movie and you said uh, that that's a stretch. So I guess it would fit better with score. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm on the fence. I I take both, but yeah, it's it's also 
a great score because it just doesn't fit at all. If you it think doesn't, about it. it doesn't. But um, now I can't think of the name of the movie. But the you Wicker know Man. What I'm Wicker about. Man. The Wicker Man, exactly. Yeah. And I'm not talking about the remake. I haven't seen that yet. But I'm not guessing that the score is anywhere near as good as no. The original. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember it being anywhere near as good. Because yeah, the Wicker Man score is so weird, and like you said, it's it's a drastic contrast from what's actually happening in the movie. It and in the same way, you know, the movie, the original Wicker Man, the movie, for the majority of the movie, you know something's happening under the surface, but you can't quite put it together what's happening yet. You know something's wrong, like something is wrong with these people. Um, even if you can't articulate what exactly is wrong, you still have this feeling of underlying dread. And with the score, it's kind of almost like lighthearted and happy. And you got all these people singing, kind of like a <laughs> counterculture, like hippie influences, everything going yeah, into the for, score. For sure, which which kind of makes sense because it's this this cult of kind of it's it's almost like a hippie cult in a way. And yeah, I, I like don't want to say too much because that's almost that's almost spoiling already for the for the movie. But yeah, this. It's almost what's kind of crazy is that this movie that's a really scary horror movie that's really so well done and so unsettling has like almost musical parts where like the the whole town is singing about the the barman's daughter right <laughs> yeah and yeah and uh, I, I wanted to give a shout out because the the guy who made the score is called Paul Giovanni and he made he's known for one other movie that I know and that's Hostel oh really and so the, guy who made Wicker Man also made Hostel. <laughs> That's interesting. So many years apart. Because Wicker Man and, was what, late 70s? Yeah, he old he I just he only made four scores. He made The Wicker Man, then uh, Michael and Claire, a portrait of love and dreams in 2004. Then uh, uh Hostel. Oh, he wrote songs on there. He wrote all the songs on the Wicker Man. That's uh, uh, oh okay. Yeah, those so and and performed them as well in parts. So uh, that's cool. Gently, Very Johnny cool. Willow's song. Yeah, he he wrote the songs. So that's so he's more of a composer, I guess. But, yeah. Uh, and also, he died nineteen ninety. Okay, so in Hostel, they just used the song of his. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was gonna okay. say because I wonder how I was trying to put it together in my head, like how old he was and what he did. Wicker Man, if he did Hostel at the same time, but you never yeah. know. Um, no, Wicker Man's a good one. That first one is a is a good score because it's such a bizarre contrast to the yeah. actual events of the movie. It's very very strange. Yeah, and, and it still kind of makes sense, and that's why it works so well. And we got to do an episode about that movie. And absolutely, <laughs> maybe we'll do both. Yeah, maybe we can do it next week. We'll do the Wicker Man movies. We'll do yeah, uh, the I, original. I, I got yeah. them both here. I just got to find them in my boxes because <laughs> I haven't put, packed out all the movies. Well, yet. that should be the first thing you unpack is all your movies. Get them organized. Get them up and ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so my last two are my two favorite scores. They are number one and number two. Uh, can the, I guess? Can I guess? Um, so guess number two. Because <laughs> uh, I know two. you know what number one is, but guess number two. <laughs> number two, um, I've, well, um, now I'm, I'm thinking if, I, I'm, I gotta say, to be honest, I don't listen to that many scores in general. Like, I I don't pick them up. I, I but I'm, I'm thinking that, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre has a good score, if I remember correctly, but I'm not sure. You are incorrect, sure sir. You are incorrect. Um, Texas Chainsaw, and I almost added it to my list. It's not even on my list. It's got one of my favorite it, horror sounds, but not uh, one of my favorite yeah. scores. Like that old camera bulb flash sound mm. that... 
That's what I had in my head. Yeah. That's actually my text tone when Shana texts me. Does that text chainsaw thing. But the text chainsaw doesn't really have that big of a, a score. A lot of it, and I think what makes that movie work so good is it's quiet. Um, yeah. is specifically the scene when Drayton Sawyer, Sawyer's got um, Sally in the, the gas station restaurant, and you just hear that old radio playing in the background when she figures out the meat is, you know, human meat that's being barbecued. Uh, that's such a cool scene. But the text chainsaw doesn't have a huge big score. And yeah, I um, had the chuckle sound in my head, and that's yeah, what I thought that's of. That's one of my favorite horror sounds for sure. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, it's okay. So I'll give you another hint and see if you can come up with it. It's an Italian movie. It's an Italian movie. Um, we've talked about it, and it is. Uh, I think you might have watched it recently. I know sometimes Phil watched it recently from my celluloid heart, watched it recently. Um, oh, uh, no, I have no idea. He, so he, he watched a lot of movies recently, but yeah, I can't think of. He did. A, he did a free trial of Shutter, and he's burning through a bunch of them. Like he watched Reanimator, and um, there was uh, a couple other ones he had told me about. Or just recently, he told me he watched Reanimator, and I was like, oh, it's so good. Love, love that first Reanimator. Uh, but no, That's this good. score, um, Fabio Frizi did this one, and it is uh, Fulci's The Beyond. I love, love, love the beyond. And it's um, primarily because it is not a traditional score. And you've got like the singing voices, but almost like this big rock music at the same time. It's just, um, it's such a weird like combination of stuff. But for that world and opening the gates of hell, uh, I think it's just, it's just perfect. It's just absolutely perfect. Um, and it's one that I wish I could find. I found one place that printed them, but they were already completely, uh, they were already completely sold out. They printed it on vinyl and I was like, Oh, "Oh, that'd be such a good one. Yeah. I found this place that does, um, um, they, they find a lot of these old scores and they redo them on vinyl. And I was looking, they still had some copies of black Christmas and I was like, Oh, that'd be fun to just sit around and listen to you. Cause I will sometimes just in my car, I'll throw on a score and just listen to it from start to finish. I feel like a good score. You can do that. But the Beyond, for those of you who maybe um, haven't seen it, it's very rock-influenced. There's a lot of rock music, big heavy drums, um, you know, and then voices at the same time. But at the same time, you get a lot of creepy um, a lot of creepy stuff at the same time. That yeah, It's what these Italian movies, similar to uh, the Goblin scores, really. It's like, it's almost like a rock band is playing. Yeah. You could see them perform it live, but it also fits perfectly as the background music of a movie. Like, it isn't... It doesn't feel like you you haven't watched Hard Rock Zombies yet, right? Not yet. But in the movie, we got two or three scenes where the band suddenly just starts playing a song, and then it's a music video. But that's not the case in in these movies. It's just like the the music in the background, but still kind of rock music. Have have you ever seen the movie Dead and Breakfast? No. (laughs) It's a ton of fun. Um, I want to say it was maybe late 90s, early 2000s. But just randomly in the movie, like the camera will pan over and there's a guy with a guitar and he'll sit there and sing about the things that like have happened and then sing about the things that are about to happen. Just randomly, the camera moves over and you got this guy who will sit and maybe there's someone playing like a washboard or something next to him, but it's real uh, acoustic type, like kind of, I don't want to say hillbilly music because I feel like that's not what it is, but like a southern bluegrassy rock mix of different things but it's it's a really good movie if you get a chance uh, it's a lot of fun I just, just looked it up it's not available over here but uh if it ever is i yeah. will watch it because yeah. that sounds Check the it title out. alone is um, yeah. i'm in the, the german title as 
has the same title and then adds Hotel Zombie. Yeah, but which makes sense if you actually um, if you watch the movie. Uh, okay, so you know my number two. Um, so what do you think my my number one is? Do we even have to talk about Halloween? <laughs> <laughs> I know. As much as we've talked about Halloween. And um, Halloween, to me, because for some of these other ones, it's, you know, the theme song or it's one specific part of the score. Halloween is the complete package. It's it's from start to finish. That music is... And, you know, the theme I love, but the theme isn't even some of my favorite parts of the score. It's, you know, the... Um, because there was the main theme, and then there's the shape where you get that awesome that's like dun, 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 dun. And Michael's stalking around, dun, 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 And then you have when Lori's like crossing the street to go over um, and see what's going on with Annie, um, where you get that ding, 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 like really, really slow back and forth. And you get them heavy bass notes like boom, 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 boom. Okay, <laughs> let's do this. We'll, we'll start a Patreon, and uh, for <laughs> everyone who donates uh, $10 or more, gets uh, the, the whole Halloween movie with a soundtrack sung by Joe. <laughs> right. And I feel like I could almost do it. I could almost shut the sound off and still could be pretty close to what that score is. I, I just want to see that score where you're just doing all the music. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> it would be really funny. Maybe I'll just do like one scene and I'll do the, the vocal score track. <laughs> But that score um, is one that my my entire life it's been my favorite. Nothing ever seems to to compare to it because I feel like it just I don't know. It's just everything about it is just spot on. Like Carpenter, he took the same kind of theme, but just manipulated a little bit in the right ways to make it fit each scene perfectly. And he, and then you get those big like the the high strings like dee -dee -dee, and it'll just hang there for a long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then it'll drop back down. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, and then Michael shows up. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, maybe I'll do that. Donate $10, and I'll do the whole score for you. <laughs> Be awesome. Okay. Yeah, that, so, uh, yeah, that, that score, I, I don't have to add anything to that. It's it's a great score, and it's it's known for its great score, and it started Carpenter's career pretty much. Yeah, as far as so, his scores yeah. go, I mean... That was because um, he did, uh, I think, Assault on Precinct 13 was before Halloween, but I, I, and I'm pretty sure he scored that. But the guy's just known for scoring his own movies and and really is, I mean, I can't think of any other director who is as accomplished as a composer as Carpenter is. I mean, I, I don't know of anybody else who really, because most, I mean, you got guys who pick great music like an Edgar Wright and even if all his movies aren't the best, I think Rob Zombie picks awesome music that really yeah. fits the tone of his movies and goes along with his movies. So you have and guys who can pick. The, the biggest one is uh, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yeah, Tarantino. Because, right. I mean, Reservoir Dogs was pretty much narrated by a radio station. Yeah. And then, you know, you'd have this awesome music and his use of Stuck in the Middle with You um, when uh, Michael Madsen is, you know, He's like, I don't want to torture you. Or no, like, what do he say? I don't want to torture you. I just, or no, I don't want information. I just like to torture cops or something like that. And then you get, when I don't know why I came here tonight. And you get that score or the music in the background. But Tarantino, yeah, he he always says, especially Pulp Fiction. Um, Kill Bill is a really, really good one. Yeah. Basically, the whole Kill Bill is about um, uh, my baby shut me down. <laughs> yeah, so which is so good. 
Um, Robert Rodriguez too, but I think he gets some of that from from Tarantino. Um, yeah. Add some really cool music in there. So that's uh, that's all I had. Did you have anything else you wanted to add on the score side? I think I think I'm good. Like we talked about a lot of composers, and we probably forgot one or two, but uh, I'm sure there's some. I, I just picked some of my favorites. But yeah, if anybody listening has some favorites, you want to shoot over and be like, oh, how could you forget this? How could you forget that? I almost put the Jaws theme on there because that's super iconic. Oh, yeah, um, of course. Yeah, just that doom, doom, and you get them real heavy string sounds again. Um, and and there's so many, you know, the importance of music to movies is just it's in every movie. It's not just horror yeah. movies. You know, you think of somebody, um, John Williams. You know, what would Star Wars be without Star Wars, or even Harry Potter? Uh, one of my personal, I have a couple personal favorites, even outside of the horror genre. Which the one might kind of be a little bit horror-y, and that's Danny Elfman. I think Danny Elfman's scores are always good. Always good, yeah, no matter always, what. And, and you can always pick them out. Like, he's, right. he's one of those composers that has his own sound. Outside of, I think he did Fifty Shades of Grey. I think he did all the, <laughs> I think he did that trilogy, which didn't really sound like Danny Elfman. But what you're saying, yeah, the, the Beetlejuice type stuff, you know, the yeah, Simpsons theme song, you can automatically yeah. tell that's Danny Elfman. Uh, yeah. Tales from the Crypt, which we talked about last week, you know, um, and pretty much all his stuff with Tim Burton has those those weird yeah. sounds. Um, Hans Zimmer's another really good one who I who I enjoy usually whatever yeah, he does. I, I got one more uh, one more specific score that just came to my head, and maybe it's just the opening that really is stuck in my head. But the score to Night uh, Night of the Living Dead is also really good. Oh yeah, it's awesome. Especially the I, I still like I, I live next to a church for the longest time and for a long time every time I heard our church bells ring, I just listen, heard the music of the, the opening because it's also with this ding yeah. ding. And uh yeah. That, that is great, that especially for that kind of movie that's really like no budget movie for right. the time. For them to make a yeah, you're right. It's the opening theme when the car is going up the hill. Yeah. Um yeah, and I was fortunate enough to be able to go visit that that graveyard. Shane and I got to go, and we took our pictures in front of the headstones and stuff. The one that um, Barbara runs around and grabs when she's running, and she, you know, she has that long hold for a second. Um, yeah. So yeah, if you uh, if you have any scores, anyone listening has any scores that we might have forgot, send them in. I'd love to hear what everybody thinks. And it sounds like next week we're going to be doing the Wicker Man, so we'll watch the um, the original and the remake. <laughs> that remake. <laughs> Oh, that's something special. I, I think I watched the remake first because I saw the original already, and so I'm going to watch the remake, and then to wash it off, I'll watch the original again. Yeah, the bees, <laughs> bees, ah, the bees. And when he pulls the gun on that girl on the bike, step away from the bike. <laughs> he draws down on her to get her off a bicycle. I uh, can't wait. <laughs> yeah, so much fun. And if you want to get into contact with us uh, on all social media platforms, IHOH Podcast, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or you can email us directly, IHOHpodcast at gmail.com. Um, shoot us a message. If there's Even if you have any topics, you're like, hey, talk about this this week or talk about this in a couple weeks, we'd love it. I love having it. Now, it might be, there might be some instances where Josh can't find a movie just because Germany bans everything, um, but hopefully there's but stuff you can find. Dawn of the Dead got unbanned, so now everything's possible. Which is awesome. Yeah, I still got to watch. I had a good friend of mine um, let me borrow the three-hour cut, and I still haven't got around to watching it, but I really need to watch that because I want to see what that super cut looks like. Um, but yeah, have Dawn of the Dead. The have I seen what? The, the Argento version, because like there's there's three cuts. There's the, um, the Romero, the original. Then there's the cut that Argento did for the European market, 
And then there's the three-hour version that just puts all of it together. Yeah, I don't think I've seen the Argento cut. So that'll be, um, I need to see them all. Maybe it's on that disc. He gave me this. I mean, it's a big, huge, like three or four disc set, I think. But it's a big box, whatever it is. Maybe they have them all on there, yeah. Yeah, so I will, um, I'll watch that and then I'll finally be able to return it. Because <laughs> he let me borrow it a long time ago, but I, he's got a bunch of uh, movies. I let him borrow all my Samurai Jack, the four seasons of Samurai Jack, um, which is one of the greatest cartoons of all time. If you've never seen it, so anyways, we digress. But uh, for the International House of Horrors, I am Joe Murrow, and I'm Josh. And we'll be back next week with more things terrible, horrible, brutal, bloody, gory, and the macabre.